Carter. I'm Eloa. And I'm Erin. And if you don't know three black bitches who love true crime, you do now. This is the I Ain't a Killer podcast. Hey y'all! Hey, <laughs> hey everybody! Welcome back. I feel like I was. I feel like I was so excited for Killer Bees, and then as soon as they chose it, I'd never see. <laughs> I know. I know. I feel like I try to throw it in there every once in a while. Right. It's so cute. Maybe like when we get to the point where we can do merch or something, we can use it more. Like I feel like yeah. it's cute for merch. Yeah, that'll be cute. A little bee yeah. with a knife with blood. <laughs> oh, please. That's a tattoo. I'm getting that. That would be so, cute. Oh my God. We that would be a cute tattoo. tattoo. I would love that. I would, I would too. Oh, look at us. I got to get, um, I got to get my matching tattoo with K first though. Cause I've been, we've been talking about that shit for two years and I just never did. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I'll do that and then we can do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it the day before and be like, okay, now I'm ready. <laughs> yes. Two yeah. on a week. That's how tattoos should go. <laughs> How was everyone's Halloween, Carter? I know you you were out there with the celebrities. I know, right? Um, I don't know about celebrities. <laughs> I mean, Kid Fury is my celebrity friend crush, but yes, <laughs> I went to um, Trilloween here in Atlanta, and it was a blast. I had so much fun. My outfit was cute. My little thing stayed in all night, and yeah, I got a hug from Kid Fury. He was Aww. very sweet and very cute. Oh, <laughs> I love yes. that. After screaming like a banshee. <laughs> He oh looked at me God. like he looked at me like bitches. You good? <laughs> and I was like, I'm so sorry. I just I, I think I was screaming about a song that was playing. When I'm drunk, I really don't know. But I was like really excited. And then he came over. He was like, No, it's good. It was kind of funny and gave me a hug. And that's so like, I love you. And then so when we do our collab episode with the real, then you could be like, Oh, I met you and I was super drunk. And you got this cute story you could tell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I would die if that ever happened. That was no, that's perfect. That's yeah. a perfect Halloween. I got a video I, to show y'all later. <clears throat> oh yeah, cute. Oh, I'm glad you had fun. I didn't what really do know? much for Halloween. I just stopped by um a friend's Halloween party. I wore a outfit that I had from like I think it was twenty I think it was like twenty twenty or twenty nineteen, something like that. Cute. I was uh, um one of the robbers from Money Heist. Oh cute. So, that was really easy. Uh, I miss Money Heist. I've never seen it. I feel like you told me to watch it like 12 times. What? It's so good. It is really good. I, I love a heist. <laughs> it is. I feel like it's a good twist on a heist because they usually do like 12 white boys and like five of them don't care. One of them has like real, uh, one of them is like real short so they can get into places and shit like that. They always, they always do the same shit. So they always, do y'all remember huh? take, Takers with the yes. Kevin Brown and Michael Ely? Oh <laughs> As you were describing yeah. that, I was like, oh my like God, the black version of that. <laughs> yes, and everybody fucking died. In the black version, everybody dies. Like, set yeah. it off. All of the, all the black shit. But then when it's Ocean's Eleven, they might have just one of them get locked up and then they get released or something at the right. end of the job. Next oh, time, can we please do set it off? Oh my God. Yes. Oh, I'm down. God. <laughs> Um, yes, please. Please. hilarious. Oh yes, 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 yes. I call. Wait, am I gonna be stony? I'm gonna either be stony or I'm gonna be TT. Okay, I, I mean, gotta figure it out. I'm down to be Cleo. 
<laughs> or Sony. Listen. Okay. I need that money, Frankie. So, <laughs> I, like, I already know how to If we do, we have to make some TikToks and videos and shit. I yeah, yeah, yeah. We I got to, see. yeah. Never fun. <laughs> how was your Halloween, Aaron? It was good. I just handed out candy to the babies. Aww, it was sweet. sweet. Yeah. They were cute. One of them said that they didn't like the candy I had, so... <laughs> That was that. Period. I mean, at that point, it was the end of the night. So Uh, it was like Smarties and like Butterfingers. So I get it. But you should have been here earlier. Why are you here at 8 p.m.? Right. (laughs) That's on you. That sounds like a whole lot of your problem. Right. But it was cute. I love seeing little kids dressed up. Some were too old. Not to be dressed up, I get it. But you're like 18. You can go to the store and get your own candy. But I I get it. It's like the the holiday of it. It's, yeah. So, but it was fun. It was cute. I didn't dress up or anything, but Aww. still enjoyed myself. Not 18. Right. I'm like, um, you're grown and you don't have any other younger kids with you. But it was fine. I'm yeah. like, run me them Snickers. Don't worry right. about it. Run me the good shit. It was cute. It was cute. Okay, okay cute. cute. I'm glad everybody had a cute time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what did we decide for current and crime? The kids. The kids. Oh, the kids. The kids. So speaking of kids, <laughs> we have an article from the New York Post. It's an update on an ongoing case. Um, so some of our listeners might be familiar with it. But I'm just going to read this from the New York Post. It is dated November 2nd. So today, the day that we're recording this. Okay. Iowa teenagers killed their Spanish teacher of a bad grade. Two Iowa high schoolers allegedly killed their Spanish teacher last year as payback for a bad grade she gave one of the teens in her class. The new details shed light on a possible motive for the first time since Willard Miller and Jeremy Goodale were arrested and charged with the murder of their 66, damn, 66-year-old teacher, Nahima Graber, in the small town of Fairfield on November 2nd, 2021, a year to the day. Miller had met with Graber at Fairfield High School to discuss his poor grade in her class on the afternoon of her murder investigators found. Later that day, the teacher drove her van to park to a park where she was known to take her daily walks after school, authorities said. A day later, Graber's badly beaten body was found hidden under a tarp, wheelbarrow, and roll, railroad ties in the park. Investigators believe Miller and Goodell, who were both 16 years old at the time, beat her to death with a baseball bat and later bragged about it on social media. Miller told police he had been frustrated with the way Gruber taught Spanish and was angry at the low grade she gave him, was lowering his overall GPA. The poor grade is believed to be the motive behind the murder of Graber, which directly connects Miller. Court documents filed by Jefferson County Attorney Chauncey Molding and Assistant Iowa Attorney General Scott Brown said. Miller denied any involvement in his teacher's death, but later stated he had knowledge of everything but did not participate, claiming a roving group of masked kids killed Graber and forced him to get rid of the body, according to court documents. Witnesses spotted two males driving Graber's van out of the park less than an hour after the teacher arrived. The van was abandoned at the end of a rural road, and a witness picked up the two teenage boys as they walked along the same road, investigators said. Goodell allegedly bragged about the murder to a friend on Snapchat. A witness provided photos of a Snapchat conversation with the teen that implicated himself, not a pop-up, um, himself and Miller by name in Graber's killing. Miller's attorney, Christine Brandstan, however, said four search warrants were issued illegally and is asking the court to invalidate all four and suppress evidence from Snapchat, as well as her client's home. 
comments he made to the police, and information taken from his cell phone. A judge will hear arguments on whether to suppress any of the evidence Wednesday. Both boys, who are now 17, will be tried as adults. Miller's trial is scheduled to begin on March 20th in Council Bluffs, and Goodell's trial is set to begin on December 5th in Davenport. The way they can just suppress hard evidence just because it was like, I mean, I guess not just because it was gained illegally, because like it is bad to gain illegally, but if the evidence is evidence, then I yeah. don't know. It's, I think it's called like, what's it, EXO post facto or something like that? I don't know. What the fuck? But yeah, it's like they take that shit super serious. All right, y'all. We'll be right back after we pay some bills. Are you a huge cunt? Us too. Wait, can we even say cunt? Of course. It's empowering these days. Cunt, 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 cunt. I'm Ange Ballastone, a.k.a. The Drag Queen, Fat Girl Gina. And I'm Mike Fails, just a normal gay guy, I guess. And we're the hosts of The Big Cunty Couch, a gorgeous new talk show podcast where we invite queers and peers to sit, bitch, and be fierce on a huge-ass couch. While we gab about all things gay. So come get cozy. And cunty. With us. We're pan for platforms, so find us anywhere online and get listening, sweetie. Or watching. Or both. Otherwise, why the hell am I in full drag? And we'll see you on the big... Oh, wait. I thought we were going to say that together. No. On the big c***y couch. Mwah. But... I just... (laughs) I can't even grasp it. It's so ignorant. That shit don't make no sense. Why the fuck would y'all do that? Over a bad grade. The grade's still going to be bad. And now you're going to jail for murder. So now your GPA is irrelevant. And you locked up. (laughs) Don't even apply. Yeah, that's awful. And they were only 16. I wonder what, like, you know how, um, I wasn't one of these kids, but you know how there were those kids that went to high school with you that their parents, like, put so much emphasis on their uh, GPA that it would, like, cause them, like, extreme anxiety? I'm wondering if that was, if, like, their parents were like that. That's what is given. Well, that's what I was thinking during the story. It's like, I don't know, they parents, you know, those parents are like push them to go to Harvard or whatever. But mm-hmm. I don't know. But this uh, this type of activity don't give me somebody who's smart enough to go to Harvard. <laughs> that just don't. That's just not how I feel. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't make no sense. Uh, but I guess I don't know that prefrontal cortex, cortex. or mm-hmm. whatever the fuck. Is, yeah. This really do be underdeveloped. Sure <laughs> There's does. any any type of proof is them these, these stories that we be doing about these high school kids. Yeah, I mean that is a really good point because your prefrontal cortex literally controls decision making and rationale and stuff like that. And it's like you got so mad. It's, it's like you got so mad that you did that, but then you like made a plan because you have to know her schedule. You have to pull up. You mm-hmm. got to ring the baseball bat. Mm-hmm. Like you have to call somebody to come pick you up after you abandon the van in the place that you probably decide to do beforehand you know like it's a lot of steps but who child yeah i feel sorry for that old lady like she probably just i mean y'all probably kind of could have just i don't know got y'all a little spanish dictionary and y'all could have been fine but but the fact that y'all didn't do that now she's dead yeah in a place where she usually finds peace do y'all remember that story we did on the scream murders like mm-hmm. the, yeah it kind of gives me that just because the one kid's like i didn't have anything to do with it but it's like obviously you did bro like they had yeah. all those videos and stuff that they had taken of themselves right, right? Yeah. yeah Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. oh gosh that's terrifying 
I wonder if they have if there's any evidence of like them being violent. Yeah. yeah, I want to know more. I want to dig into these kids and figure out more about right. them because you don't just nothing and kill your teacher. Yeah, nothing they did matches up at all. Mm-mm. I'm sure we'll get more information. Probably a little lifetime uh, true crime oxygen documentary docu series or something. Probably already in the works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> well, I think that's it for our current and crime. Okay, we'll be back with the main story. Okay, we are back with our main story, and I'm going to be the main um, investigator today. (laughs) All right, I'm going to mute myself until I have a reaction, because my cat uh, apparently likes true crime, too. Okay, cute. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, for content warnings today, there is murder, mention of rape, extreme, severe beating, and sexual abuse. So this is the story of the Dozier School for the Boys. Have y'all not for the boys? For boys, mm, I never heard, heard of that. For the boys is very different than for. I boys. know that's why I was like, <laughs> why did I say it that way? <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard of it, but I already know if it's an all boys school, it's about to be awful. Yeah, because yeah. that's why would you ever do that? Like, <laughs> yeah, anyway. that part. Okay, so um, the Florida School for Boys, also known as Arthur G. Dozier School for Boys, was a reform school that was operated by the state of Georgia, state of Florida in the town of Mariana. So it was open from January 1st, 1900 to June 30th, 2011. And they also had a second campus that was open in the town of Okeechobee in 1955. So it's supposed to be a refuge for troubled children that convicted crimes. And by initial design, the children were supposed to be receiving training and education that would propel them to become productive citizens after they committed a crime. So it's like a juvie alternative. Right, exactly. So this was like a good idea in like words, but it was (laughs) in theory, but it was hard to actually, well, I wouldn't say hard. It just didn't happen. Um, originally the children were committed to the school for criminal offenses like theft and murder, but they later amended the law to identify minor offenses like incorrigibility, truancy, or dependency. And because they opened up the, um, amount of kids that could come and the amount of offenses that were allowed, it led the school to become the largest juvenile reform institution in the U S at the time. So if you think about it, the boys that were attending the school, some of them had committed rapes, some had murdered people. Then there were also boys that were there for skipping school and like running away from abusive households. So there were like kids that were involved in a lot of different things with a lot of different mental states. And it was a clusterfuck, basically. And the kids there were aged between five and 20 years old. Oh no! Yeah, so babies to grown folks. With no I just want to make sure I had that <clears throat> correct. Five and twenty, mm-hmm. all the way through. For, for did boys? it still operate like a grade school? It it from the outside looking in operated like a regular school with awesome. the kids taking on different roles. Like some kids were like a part of the kitchen team, and some kids were learning how to f- do farming, and like they 
involve them more in like the running of the school to like teach them different skills and stuff. But as we learn other things were going on as well. And this is like a boarding school. So they like live on campus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. They're sent there as an alternative to going to like juvie. Gotcha. Yeah. Why would you ever want a five-year-old to go to the same school as a 17-year-old? That's weird. I know. It's horrible. And it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was originally overseen by five commissioners that were appointed by the governor, um, William Dunnington Bloxham. And these commissioners operated the school and they made reports to the legislature every other year. And at some time after that, the commissioners were replaced by the governor in the cabinet of Florida and they acted as the board of commissioners of state institutions. So in 1914, the name was changed to the Florida industrial school for the boys. In 1957, they changed it to Florida school for boys And in 1967, it officially changed to Arthur Dozier School for Boys. And that was in honor of a former superintendent of the school. So that's kind of what it's known for. It's known as like the Dozier School. So the main campus was in Mariana and it was an open campus. So there were no fencing or whatever. It was 1,400 acres. So it was huge. And it was divided into two smaller campuses. So the south side, or what they refer to as number one, was for white students. And then north side, or number two, is for, at the time, what they were referred to as colored students. So this is in, it opened up in 1900, so very much still segregated. And it continued to be segregated until 1964 when the Civil Rights Act was passed. And there was also a cemetery on campus that was located on the north side, the black side, and it was called Boot Hill Cemetery. So within the first 13 years of operation, the school was investigated six different times. So they were just off to a horrible start. In 1903, so just three years after it opened, an inspection reported that children at the school were commonly kept in leg irons. And um, I think that's more commonly known as what they're used to keep chain gangs together. So there are physical restraints that are used on ankles of people to allow them to walk with a restricted stride and it prevented them from running away. So that it was found that after three years of the school being opened up, that the children were kept in these leg irons. And then in 1914, there was a fire in one of the dorms and it killed six students and two staff members. And it was suspicious. It had to be investigated, but nothing came out of it. In 1918, 11 students were recorded to have died from the Spanish flu epidemic which that was just happening at the time, but it was worth noting because 11 um, children died. All this shit sound like jail. Like, yeah, I was about to say, this is a prison. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's a penitentiary. Yeah. It's, a, it's a juvenile center alternative. So they, they tried to, it, it's giving me holes. Y'all know the movie holes yeah, yeah. where they try to make it seem like, Oh, you're going to this camp. You're going to learn all these skills. You're going to get school. Right. And then they get there and they're digging holes. So that's what it's giving. Like they, they told the parents of these kids that they're going to go to the school. It's an alternative for them being in jail. They're going to learn all these skills. They're going to be with other boys of their age. And that wasn't the case. They were there. Was it government funded like a jail? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I guess there are private prisons, but. It yeah, it was government funded, funded. Mm-hmm. and regulated. I mean, regulated in loose terms. Yeah. Ooh, but yeah, okay. I mean, it was, it was like a jail. Um, in 1929, an 11-room concrete block detention building was constructed. So it had two different cells. One was for white students and one was from black, for black students. 
And the building was constructed, specifically constructed to house incorrigible and violent students. So students that they just felt like they could not control were meant to be in this home that they built on the campus. But it was later found out that in the 1950s and 60s, it was the site of many horrible beatings that were inflicted upon the students. And the building was later was referred to by the students as the White House because it was painted white. So we're jumping ahead a little bit, but the men that suffered horrific abuse while at the Dozier School for Boys, more than 50 years later, called themselves the White House Boys. And in October 21st of 2008, they all gathered for the first time on campus and they shared their stories of what they went through in the White House. And this group consists of more than 400 men who survived the situation at the school. What? So, yeah. More oh my, that's like men. two graduating classes. I know. Oh my fucking God. So the only way to get the story of the school and what happened there is to um, visit the stories that these men told 56 years later after they experienced it. So what I did to try to like explain what happened at the school was I just pulled a couple stories, but like I said, there are 400 people in this group. So there's like hella more stories that are horrible that you can look up if you want. Um, they're online, but I just decided to pick a few to kind of give an idea of what these children were going through. So we'll talk about Willie Haynes. Um, in the late 1950s, a 13 year old boy stood in front of a judge in Tampa, Florida, and he was accusing Willie Haynes of stealing a car from his neighborhood. So Willie didn't know how to drive. So he definitely didn't steal that damn car, but he was an easy target he was, he grew up poor in an area called Six Mile Creek in um, East Tampa. He was kind of just an easy target to pin the crime on. So the judge warned Willie that if he didn't get his act together, that he would be sent to a reform school in Mariana. Those your school for the boys. But Willie surprised the judge when he said that he wanted to go to the school because he had heard that there was a band and a football team and that there was even Boy Scouts that he could participate in. And he was like, oh, this school sounds better than what my home life is like. Like, I'd rather go there. That is so sad. I know. That's sad as fuck. It's horrible. I mean, then the, ju the judge was shocked, which shows you the judge knows how shitty it is. But so he sent him to the school. And when Willie drove up, he saw these like manicured lawns and these big buildings. And he told the um, officer that was driving him that it looked like college. And, um, he was, um, he signed a ledger, which all the boys that came to the school signed. And he wrote his name, William Haynes, Jr. April 11th, 1958. He was then escorted to Tyler cottage where he put his belongings into locker number 252. They gave him a toothbrush and pajamas and, um, a military bunk where he would sleep. So before Willie was there for even a week, some bullies caught him outside of the showers and started to jump him. But Willie knew how to fight. He had to fight in his neighborhood. So he wasn't like about to be jumped. And when a teacher walked into the fight, Willie was actually choking one of the attackers. So it kind of looked like Willie was initiating the fight. So the school's disciplinarian, whose name is R.W. Hatton, asked Willie who had been fighting, who um, had started the fight or had been involved in the fight. 
but Willie wasn't going to snitch, so he didn't give up any names. And because Willie wouldn't tell him who was fighting, Patton said, quote, you're going down. He then proceeded to drag Willie across campus to the White House, and he dragged him through the door. Quick question. Is Willie black? Yes, Willie's black. I was going to say, Willie Haynes sounds like a very black name. Also, he a real one. Yeah, <laughs> um, I just wanted to confirm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Willie's black, but I mean, these these boys are black, white, all over. They just, um, if you remember when I described the White House, they had areas separated to where they would beat the white boys versus where they would beat the black boys. A segregated prison is so wild because it's like, damn, you think even your white prisoners, like the worst white people of your society, are better than like the black ones? Like they still deserve white spaces. Exactly. Like, oh it's my so god! Wild. <laughs> but I, I, I thought of it like that, but you just articulated it in a way where I'm like, wow, they really be doing it. Mm-hmm. They really be fucking doing it. Oh my y'all god! Y'all spent extra money to put a wall between the people that you deem the worst of society, but. These are not the worst words because they still white at least. Like, right. yeah. well, they they white trash, but they not black. Like, at least they not black. Like, right? What? It doesn't make any sense. Lord, mm-hmm. wow. it's horrible. So Willie describes the inside of the building to have a lot of markings on the walls. A lot of them resembled bloody handprints, um, and a lot of other men who recounted uh, the building said that when they walked in, it was like this horrible stench that just like took over as soon as you walked in and it smelled like blood. It smelled like sweat and it was just horrifying. And, um, they also described mattresses being in, in the rooms and that's where the beatings would take place. So the boys would be dragged to the white house in like groups of one, two, three. And sometimes there was even a line that was waiting outside for them to get beaten. So there would be these children waiting outside hearing their class classmates. I don't know what they their peers being beaten before they would then have to go in and get beat themselves. So over 18 months, the men dragged Willie Haynes into the white house over and over again. They would whip him with a strap of leather on his thighs, his back and his butt. And when he returned to his cottage, this is gruesome. He would stand in the shower and let the cold water try to wash off pieces of his underwear that would be stuck inside of his lacerations. That so made my stomach, like, yeah, I know. Oh my goodness. It's horrifying. And that's a common occurrence. Like none of these are an extreme, like an extreme situation. Like they're all this bad. It just makes me think, like, what kind of sick individual worked there that, like, took joy in doing this? Like, people that enjoy hurting kids are, like, on a daily basis. You said over 18 months, right? Mm-hmm. Just like, this one child, yeah. Because he wouldn't snitch over a, a fight at a school for boys? Like, boy, kids fight. Like, right. Mm-hmm. There's this um I, I saw this TikTok a long time ago and he was talking about how like politic is personality. So like I feel like somebody who like can't see a kid in that situation or would think it's like super fucked up, right? You're not gonna apply to work there. So like only the only people who would apply to work there is people who think that they A deserve to be in that situation, B 
kind of would like to see them in that situation or kind of get a kick out of it. So I think that like the reason why all these schools like this are terrible with these orphanages and how we like these group homes and shit like that is because the people who apply to work, they don't want to help kids. They don't give a fuck about kids. They think they deserve to be there and whatever anger issues they got. Same thing with cops, like what, Mm -hmm. however they got bullied or whatever, they get to reenact that in these situations. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly believe you low-key can't be a good person and apply in those jobs unless y'all are actively trying to like have an education rehabilitation type um system yeah yeah i think that's a really good point and i think it's also the same as like when someone does apply because they want to be a good cop and change the system from within like after a while even if that was your intention like you get mm-hmm. rotted by the other rotten apples that are around you like mm-hmm. right exactly Ooh. and then specifically in this situation um when I was going through these stories to try to pick the ones to highlight, there was one that said that he did have one good teacher, I think is what he referred to him as like the kind of like an RN, like somebody who watched over the dorms. And I was just thinking, you know, like as a child in that situation, maybe he believed that, but there's no way you could, even if you were, weren't one of the people who was beating these children, you either were turning your eyes because you knew what was happening or you weren't looking hard enough. And if you weren't looking hard enough, you weren't doing your job. So every single person in that place, whether they beat these kids or not, like helped that whole thing continue to happen for like a century. Yeah. A thousand percent agree. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to talk about Johnny Lee Gaddy. Johnny was sent to the Dozier school for boys in 1957 when he was 11 years old and he was sent there for truancy. And he got in trouble for skipping school. And he said he did that so that he could avoid being picked on for his stutter. Johnny said that the officer lied to his mom and said that he was going to take him to see a judge. So the officer picked him up and brought him to a booking cell and told him to wait until the judge came back. And he fell asleep in the booking cell. And when the officer came back, he, the officer said, quote, Hey boy, get up. And Johnny asked where the judge was. The officer said, quote, nigger, you're going to Mariana. So um, that's where Johnny was sent. His um, parents were none the wiser. They just thought that he was going to the judge. And then all of a sudden their child was at this um, school, quote unquote. So at Dozier, Johnny was assigned to the farm crew where him and a lot of other boys would go farming for food at 6 a.m. every day. And that was some of the food that all the children at the school would eat. And the first time that Johnny was sent to the White House, it was because he was trying to help a six-year-old boy out of the mud where he had passed out after working really hard. So one of the men that was over the farming program told Johnny to leave him and Johnny refused and he took him to the white house. So Johnny stated that quote, after he picked the boy up, he drug us both to the white house. He said, I want you to lay on that bed, grab that railing, look at that notch on the wall and you better not turn it loose. If you turn this bed loose, I can hit you below your belt and kill you. And then the man, the man went on to hit Johnny up and down his back in his head. Johnny even um, shared some other disturbing stories of also being molested at the hands of the same men that beat him. And that's also a pattern across these stories of um, sexual assault. So Paul Elgin. In 1960, Paul's mother picked him and his two sisters up from an orphanage in Pennsylvania to come live with her and her new husband in Florida. And after about three years, Paul was having a lot of trouble at home and he was getting um, into legal trouble. 
and he was sent to the Orange County Juvenile Center. And after he was there for a while, a judge sent him to Dozier School for for Boys. And he was sent there as an incorrigible child um, for an undetermined amount of time. And that's basically my understanding of that sentence or calling them an incorrigible child is basically like they just can't be controlled. So they send them to these schools to control them or make them more controllable. I wonder how many of these kids, one, kids are just going to be kids and behave in ways that we don't like because they're kids, their brains aren't there yet. But also a bunch of these kids probably had disabilities, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like whether they be learning or physical or whatever, like. Yeah, absolutely. Terrible. Yeah. It seemed like, I mean, from these stories that um, I was reading, it seemed like a lot of them did have disabilities, whether it be developmental or mental, um, in that they just weren't given the correct help and just assumed that they were just bad kids. And that was common for this time period. I mean, they still do it now, but this is like 1900s or uh, mid 1900s. So, I mean, I'm not shocked by it. It's still horrifying. So when Paul arrived, he wrote his name in the book that every child wrote what their name in and he was assigned living quarters and he was put, um, his work detail was part of the kitchen crew. So one morning, Paul put syrup on his pancakes. He didn't realize the syrup was reserved for staff only. And he was reprimanded in that moment. And a few days later, he was picked up in a car along with some other boys and he was taken to the White House. So he described walking down a short hallway, was told to go into the left room and sit on the bed. And he sat there on the bed and listened to other boys that were beaten before him. He said he recalled crying and screaming and just being terrified, knowing what was coming next for him. So when it was Paul's turn, they told him, quote, the more you scream, the more you get. So Mr. Tidwell tapped the wall with um, a leather strap and ordered him to get into the room and told him to lay down on the bed. Paul kind of like tensed up, you know, when you like are anticipating getting hit. And he said he was like laying on the bed, tensed up and it didn't come. So he was like waiting, waiting, waiting and nothing came. And he said, finally his body couldn't hold anymore and he relaxed. And that's when he got hit the first time. And he then proceeded to be hit 35 times. Oh my God. Oh, he said when it was over, they carried him to the infirmary where someone took like a Vaseline like substance and rubbed it on the back of his legs, which I'm like, these fucking nurses knew this shit was happening. Yeah. Right. And um, Paul said that after this beating, he went back and spoke to the other boys that lived in the same room as him. And they said that they had like developed this um, pattern of how they would receive their beatings, knowing like when to relax, when to tense up because they've like, it's happened so many times that they've been able to like know how the different teachers would be them like in what pattern they would do it so they had developed like these um processes to like tense their body up so that it doesn't hurt as bad which i'm like these like 10 year old boys are coming up with like different ways to like it's just horrifying so i know paul also recounts being forced to hold another boy down while he received a beating and um he was he was made to do it by being threatened of being beat himself and he says that to this day that's something he just cannot forgive himself for and it's just like 
kill him ever since then. That he held down another kid. Okay, one more, because these are a lot. Michael Bradenberg, he was sent to, um, he spent two years at the Dozier School for Boys, and during that time he was beaten about eight times. The first time he was beaten for trying to run away. He received about 20 licks and was so swollen from the middle of his back to the back of his knees that he couldn't walk. He even said that if he tried to move at all, his skin would split and it would just Mm. open up another wound. Oh, from that first time he had to stay in the hospital for a week. The second time he tried to run away again and was caught and beat again. And he was put in the hospital for swelling and bleeding. It was put in the infirmary. Like no, the actual hospital. And they didn't investigate. (sighs) Oh my goodness. So, um, the other times that he was punished, it was for swearing, talking, fighting. And sometimes he said it was for things that he didn't even do. He said it got to the point where he learned to block out the pain. Like I told you that the other boys had figured out how to like deal with the beatings enough that they could, um, handle the pain as best as possible. So Michael recounts getting hit 20 times by Troy Tidwell because he held the quote bed too good, which if you remember the bed is what they got beat on and they would have Mm -hmm. to hold on to it. And this uh, man, Troy Tidwell said that he was holding on to the bed too good. So he then proceeded to beat him again. Michael reminds me of like, well, I I don't know what y'all's childhood was like, but I know that I've experienced and heard of other people experiencing like, if you get a whooping and you don't cry, like the, yeah the, they hit you harder it's like that no, happened to me like that's so fucked up like i'm getting beat because i'm doing exactly what you told me to do like yeah or they or they beat you because like you flinch which mm-hmm. is weird because like i'm flinching because you literally mm-hmm. you that's try weird. to put your if hand you up to block if you didn't flinch hit. you'd think that i'm not hitting you hard enough right mm-hmm. it's it's sick and bordering on sadistic like what what do you want like what it you definitely is Right. So one time Michael was also forced to hold a boy down while he was um, getting beat, while the boy was getting beat. And he remembers trying to comfort the boy, like whispering in his ears that he'll be okay because he didn't want to the boy to make it worse. Because they would tell them, if you cry, we're going to make it worse. If you scream, we're going to hit you harder. And he was trying to comfort this um, the boy. Um, Michael said that he was excused from the room and he never saw that boy again. Oh my God. <gasps> what? Yeah. Um, Michael also mentions that the one thing he did know that boys were beaten daily and a lot of them didn't come back. Oh, my one boy God. in the yard crew who like took care of the property told him that he knew where some of the boys were buried <gasps> and he took him out to a random area on a playing field. And there were like four or five holes that had been dug and refilled that Michael believes there were children. in. Wow. Wow. Ain't no fucking way. Oh yeah. my goodness. So, um, I just pulled some details from some other stories so we don't have to go through all of them because they, they kind of all follow similar patterns. Um, but here are a few details. Most of the men recalled that they were beat by two staffers. So their names are R.W. Hatton and Troy Tidwell. I think I've mentioned them before. Um, they said that whippings were carried out by guards using a three foot long belt made of leather and metal. And 
sometimes they were so severe that victims' underwear could become embedded in the skin. Mm. Um, one former student said that he had seen a boy that was trapped in a running laundry dryer at the school, and he suspected that that boy was killed. Um, one former student said that he had been punished in the White House 11 times, rece- receiving a total of more than 250 lashes. Others alleged that they were whipped until they lost consciousness, and the punishments were harsher for the boys who cried. Um, the men described being sexually abused by their guards in an underground room that they called the rape room. And oh they said God. some of the victims that they saw there were as young as nine years old. And one man named Troy Warren remembered being ordered to dig three holes behind the chow hall. And he was told to dig holes that were four feet deep and as long as a boy. I'm shook. How the fuck did nobody figure this out? And this ran till 2011? Mm-hmm. That was yesterday. I know. There were things that changed. Like, obviously, this level of abuse didn't continue all the way up until 2011. Like, this um, this stuff that I'm talking about right now was, like, 50s, 60s. Okay. And there was abuse that still happened, but it wasn't like this. Like, this happened, like, mainly during those two decades. Okay. But mm. there, there was abuse, obviously, um, all the way through. But it wasn't this intense like the other day. Yeah. So, um, like I mentioned before, there are hundreds of stories like this, and you can find them if you want to read over them on a website called thewhitehouseboys.com. It's also all over the news and the internet. So if you want to, if you're interested in reading the stories or anything like that, you can. Um, the White House was closed in 1967. And this was after corporal punishment was officially abolished by the school. Mm. Florida governor Claude Kirk, after visiting the school in 1968 said that someone should have blown the whistle on this place a long time ago. (laughs) And at that time the school had housed 564 boys. There's no way that nobody blew the whistle. I just, I can't believe that nobody said anything. Yeah, somebody definitely tried. Like, somebody had to have said something, and yeah. them niggas just ignored it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they were poor, and they were black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were criminals. Yeah. Quote-unquote criminals. Um, in response to the allegations of extreme beatings and torture that took place there, state officials sealed the building in a public ceremony, and it has remained empty since. So that's just the White House. That's not the whole school. In 1982, an inspection revealed that boys at the school were hogtied and kept in isolation for weeks at a time. What? Mm -hmm. By this time, the Dozier School was housing about 105 boys that were aged 13 to 21. So this is in 1982. The ACLU filed a lawsuit over this and a similar one for other for three other juvenile facilities in Florida that were experiencing mistreatment of the children. This is like a, a Florida thing at this point. I'm sure it's all over, but it's very oh rampant. my god, not hogtied! Like isolation is bad enough. Mm-hmm. Like hogtied is like behind your back, like cross, yeah, right? like yeah, mm-hmm. with your uh, to your legs, like your hands are attached to your leg, like you literally are immobilized. Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought. So, like, if you have to use the bathroom, if you need to just scratch an itch, like, if you need to wipe your eye, like, and isolation causes brain damage. So, you're hogtied and isolated, like, while your brain is still developing? 
Yeah, honestly, if all these boys grow up be villains, I would understand. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, are are at least half of them serial killers? Like, I don't understand how this is gonna work. It might be, child. I don't know. But um, this uh, lawsuit that the ACLU filed resulted in the Department of Justice monitoring Florida's juvenile justice system um, beginning in 1987. But that. Um, change came too late because according to a report that came out in 2009, there were 81 related school related deaths of students from 1911 to 1973. Uh 31 of these boys were said to have been buried on school grounds with other bodies quote shipped home to families or buried in unknown locations. There were 31 crosses as grave markers on the cemetery that was on the property. A later report by the University of South Florida team found that actually a total of 98 documented deaths occurred at the school, including two staff members. Wow. So it was clear that the folks at the school were covering up deaths. And And what happened to the staffers? What are y'all doing? Right. And it's wild because those are documented deaths. So like, who knows what they got away with just like outside of the confines of the law you know like mm-hmm. no paperwork we just gonna be like oh like how they try to do in holes and they're trying to say homeboy ran away mm-hmm. when they literally knew that he like was probably dead even though he wasn't but whatever right mm-hmm. exactly like that and they i mean i'll get into it afterwards but they they buried these kids all over the place but mm-hmm. So in 1985, the media reported that young ex-students of the school that had been sentenced to jail for crimes committed at the school were subsequently tortured by the guards of the county jail. So basically, this these are kids that went to Dozier School, committed crimes at the school, were then sentenced to jail. And uh-huh. at that county jail, they were also tortured. They had handcuffed the, kid, handcuffed the kids and hanged them from the bars of their cells, sometimes for over an hour. And the guards even said that the superiors approved of this and that it was a part of the routine. So it was like, regardless of where these kids were, they were getting abused. In 1994, the school was placed under the management of the newly created Florida Department of Juvenile Justice, which operated the school until it closed in 2011. So by this time, the school had facilities to house 135 kids. Many of the boys that were sent there at this point in time had been convicted of rape or of committing lewd acts on other children. So they stopped admitting children that did the uh, less serious charges at this point. In April of 2007, the acting superintendent of the school and one other employee were fired following allegations of abuse of the children. And around this time in early 2000s was when the white house boys had the group had come together Uh and they had started telling their stories publicly about their experiences to the media. And that's where we learned all the stories that, that I uh, told earlier. So they challenged the state to investigate practices and personnel at the school because now all these stories are out and more than 400 men had publicly recounted abuse and torture at the school. So now the public knows and people are outraged and it kind of, I mean, it did nudge people to investigate more and now they had people watching them in October, 2008, several of the men that are a part of the white house boys um, group attended a ceremony to 
to install a historic plaque at the White House that acknowledged the past, and this was like all over the news. In late 2009, the school failed its annual inspection, and among other problems, the inspection found that the school failed to deal with numerous complaints by the boys that were held there, including allegations of continued mistreatment by the guards. So it's just, I mean, the abuse is rampant, and they're just not doing anything. This is in 2009. All the way up until 2009. That's the year I graduated mm-hmm. high school. Right. And um, State Representative Daryl Rousen said that the system was struggling to move on from a longstanding culture of violence and abuse. First of all, fuck you. First of all, right. <laughs> but also, when you found out that these things were happening in the first place, you need to install like new practices, but new people. Like right. you should have fired everyone who was guilty of this, especially these egregious forms of violence. Like if you whipped a child so bad that their underwear is in their skin, yeah. you're gone. Not only are you gone from here, you're going to jail. Like, are you kidding uh-huh. me? But so many, I feel like a lot of those people, well, especially in the South, like a lot of people grow up with that type of abuse, even in their home, mm-hmm. you know, like lacerations and welts and stuff like that from whippings. And then of course, these are kids, they, you know, labeled as criminals and shit like that. So it's like, oh, it's not that it's either not that bad or like they deserved it. There's some sort of justification for that type of violence all the time whenever people excuse shit like that. But it's like, yeah, it's fucking sick. It's horrible. And this, I mean, it just, just happened. 2009. So the Florida Department of Law Enforcement investigated the allegations of abuse, torture, and murder um, recounted by the White House boys and the law firm, the law firm that's representative. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they conducted more than 100 interviews of former students, family members of former students, and former staff members of the school during a 15-month investigation. No concrete evidence was found linking any of the students' deaths to the actions of the school staff or that there had been attempts by staff to conceal deaths. A forensic examination of the White House was conducted and no trace evidence of blood on the walls were found. I know you fucking lying. No, they're lying there's no way that's what i'm saying all those bodies were buried on school grounds so they Mm -hmm. had to that's the conceal that's the evidence troy y'all remember troy tidwell one of the Mm -hmm. the people that was beating these children please he said punishments in the white house were not excessive that was his statement as far as the investigation so in january oh i'm sorry Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they still have scars or something. In January of 2010, the Department of Law Enforcement released its findings. I'm going to read this paragraph. It's like word for word from the investigation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not plagiarizing, but I think it's important to get all these words because they're wild. This investigation included over 100 interviews of former students, family of former students and former staff members of the school. The interviews confirmed that in addition to the implementation of the individual rating system, school administrators used corporal punishment as a tool to encourage obedience. The interviews revealed little disagreement about the way in which corporal punishment was administered. The former students were consistent in that punishment was administered by school administrators and adults and adult staff witness, sorry, witnesses in the building referred to as the White House. The former students were consistent in stating that a wooden paddle or leather strap was the implement used for administrating punishment. The area of disagreement among former students was the number of spankings administered and their severity. 
although some former students stated that they were, quote, beaten to the point that the skin of their buttocks blistered and bled profusely. There was little to no evidence of visible residual scarring. A secondary disagreement was the former student's perception of the punishment process. Some former students stated that their spankings caused them no psychological harm and that they learned from their mistakes, while others stated that mentally they suffered greatly as a result and still do to this day. Some reports by former students stated that in addition to corporal punishment, they were also subjected to sexual abuse at the hands of former staff members or other students. With the passage of over 50 years, no tangible physical evidence was found to either support or refute the allegations of physical or sexual abuse. Why would there be physical evidence of sexual abuse? Like 50 years later, they're expecting when people abuse, when people abuse people, period, especially when people abuse children who they cannot even have any type of consensual contact with at all. What, what do y'all expect to, is it, you want them to write it on the walls? That don't make no sense. It don't. It really don't. And the fact that, okay, y'all are saying y'all don't have any physical evidence. Okay, whatever. But there are dozens, if not hundreds of hundreds. children telling yeah. you this, like be fucking for real right now. Like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> and I hate that they mentioned that some kids feel like the, the beatings were okay. Some kids didn't. Why? I, I feel like because there's one child that says that these beatings are still impacting them to this day, that's the story that you should like yeah, yeah, that's enough one is enough yeah. but also hitting any child <laughs> is bad like yeah. i don't know it's 50 <laughs> years after the 50 years after receiving a whooping you're not gonna still have lacerations that's no. just not i have scars on my body from not even 15 years ago that i can't find anymore mm-hmm. and they were big and they were like they impacted me for real so it's like i don't know people <laughs> This is why I hate authority. This is why I hate authority and kids need agency and fuck the police and fuck the justice system because this shit is so trash. It like, really is. All of those And things. there's so many more stories like this all mm-hmm. over the place. Like you remember the all those native kids being found in Canada, like Oof. at the at yes. the school mm-hmm. or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. They're still finding bodies. Yeah. So imagine what happened to them. And they mm-hmm. definitely took advantage, like they're taking advantage of like anybody who doesn't have power. Yeah. They're kids, they're people of color, they're poor, like people have called them criminals. It's just so many different layers to why, yeah, we know society gonna throw you away, so we're gonna do whatever we want with y'all. And y'all are sick as fuck. And advocating for children is so hard because people don't be- believe that children deserve agency. They don't believe that you shouldn't be allowed to hit kids. Like mm-hmm. people don't believe those things. And then kids don't have the power to like advocate for themselves a lot of the times most of the time like i tried to get emancipated and i was 16 17 years old and that still like was incredibly difficult and didn't come to fruition mm-hmm. and it's like kids that are deemed criminal kids mm-hmm. with disabilities kids from like you know socioeconomic backgrounds that are unstable like of mm-hmm. course they don't have a fighting fucking chance right you can have you oh you can't have agency you can't have power over your own life but you can most definitely have a baby like living especially living in the Uh, fucking house you get pregnant oh yeah 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 like oh yeah it's it's god's will 
it's it's a life it's like all this shit like you can have that and you're you're mature enough to take care of that shit but like niggas don't want to let you like divorce your parents like you can't right. even decide you can't even be path. allowed to not be hit like that's wild to me if that's, i walk up to anybody right now and punch them in the face because they pissed me off or did something i consider bad mm-hmm. i'm going to jail right. exactly but, but you know anybody can slap like, a child anybody oh, well, you shouldn't, shouldn't have been talking shit <laughs> shouldn't have been acting up oof i hate it here and this is why i'm not having kids i'm sorry i'm not fair enough that's fair, fair enough. friend that's fair <laughs> So on March 11, 2010, state attorney Glenn Hess announced that no criminal charges would be filed in the case. Hess concluded that he would be unable to prove or disprove criminal wrongdoing in the case in a court of law. In July of 2010, the state announced its plan to merge Dozier with JJOC, creating a single new facility, the North Florida Youth Development Center, with an open campus and a closed campus. However, the following year, claiming budgetary limitations, the state decided to close both facilities on June 30th, 2011, and the remaining students were sent to other juvenile justice facilities around the state. So in 2013, when the state announced plans to sell most of the Dozier property for redevelopment, a family member of a student that had died at the Dozier school filed a suit against the action. Basically, they said that they wanted them to exhume their family member before they started like building on the property. And on August 6, 2013, Governor Rick Scott and the Florida Cabinet issued a permit allowing a team of University of South Florida anthropologists and archaeologists to excavate and examine the remains of any and all boys at the Dozier site. So bones, teeth, and artifacts from the grave sites were sent to the University of North Texas Health Science Center for DNA testing. In January 2014, The university announced that excavations had yielded remains of 55 bodies, which was almost twice the number of documented in official records from the school. You're no fucking way. By September 26 of 2014, three more bodies were identified. And in late March of 2019, an additional 27 possible graves were were identified. What? In 2017, the state held a formal ceremony with families and survivors to officially apologize for the abuses of the children at the school. Some two dozen men stood as their name were called. Two dozen out of 400 men that um, created this group, and there's probably way more, Mm -hmm. but that's what the state did as their formal ceremony. So a proposed house bill would fund two memorials to be built in Tallahassee and Mariana, and it would be a reburial of remains, and it would provide some kind of restitution to the victims. And the Senate said that it would consider this house bill. As of April 2019, that bill hasn't passed. And a a spokesman for the White House boys said that they did not want any remains reburied on the grounds of the school or even in the county, as they believed local people were complicit in what went on there. Uh Yep. Yeah. And that's where we are with it. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, I'm shook at so many levels of failure. Yeah. Yeah. So many. And I wonder what the ratio was of like black versus white or p- people of color, people who were labeled as colored and then know. people who weren't labeled as white. I'm not sure. That's a good question. Though. Mm. I mean, I'm sure that there were definitely more 
people of color than white folks, but I'm I'm sure people who enjoy abusing children are gonna do it regardless. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, no, mm-hmm. There, there were plenty of victims from all kinds of backgrounds, and my heart genuinely does break for all of them. Like that is some fucked up ass. I don't care what any of those kids did; they're still kids. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I agree. Oh, yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah, I was trying to find numbers. One article said that they were mainly, um, mainly black children that went through the school, but there was a mix of all races. But it was mainly black children. Mm-hmm. As it is with prisons and mm-hmm. yeah, chain gang and all that shit like that. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. believe they had them. And you said it was called leg irons. Yeah, like um, the chains that they use for chain gangs. Mm. Baby. And that was like off rip. They had been open for like a couple of years and they started doing that. So I'm like, you open, you're, you never had an intention of making this an actual reform school. Right. Like your, your purpose of this was to abuse kids because you just started doing it as soon as the school was open. Yeah. And it's so wild that as a society, we've accepted that like, People who commit things that we decide are bad enough don't deserve reform. But like, it's like, how are we ever going to better people in society if we don't give them the opportunity to do better or the resources they need to do better? But like, right. like you said earlier, LOL, these people genuinely believe that these people deserve it. These mm-hmm. children deserve it. And it's like that they don't deserve the opportunity to do or be better. Like mm-hmm. there is no room for them to do that. And that's like, well, damn, like, how's anything ever going to be better? <laughs> like, what? If you don't even throw people away. Kids? Like, yeah. kids? But, and then I'm also wondering what, who, the kids who were like, yeah, this psychologically harmed me versus the people who were like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Like, I wonder who they, because if I had to bet money, I would say it's the white kids who yeah. probably got like popped or some shit like that when they got their rehabilitation and then dipped. Right, and then it was the black kids who were like, "No, we got our asses fucking beat." What are you talking yeah. about? So yeah, yeah all that shit stems from slavery. Fucking anyway. As soon as yeah. they got rid of slavery, they was like, "Okay, cool. It's illegal for y'all niggas to be loitering." So we're gonna lock y'all up in chain gang. Yeah, like no jobs, no opportunities, no resources, no housing, no therapy, nothing. You just want to lock niggas up. Mm-hmm. I hate y'all. And I really do. Them. Mm-hmm. I also feel like doing this podcast has made my hate for like authority. It's like throwing gasoline on the fire. I was like, yeah, no, fuck, fuck authority. But now I'm like, no, like literally fuck all Mm y'all and all y'all are pieces of shit. Like Mm -hmm. all cops are bastards. I'm sorry. I don't give a fuck about your auntie with her little, you know, updo. Right. (laughs) I don't give a fuck. Like she she ain't shit either. Like I don't care because why the fuck are y'all part of this system? Like, why does that make you feel good? When you come right. home from work, you proud of that? I would never be proud of that. I could never do that. Sorry. Nope. I think like besides the abuse, obviously the most shocking, not shocking, that's a bad word to use because I'm not shocked, but the most alarming part of all of it was how many people along the process had to have known about what was happening. Like the judges that sent the children there mm-hmm. had to know about the abuse. Obviously mm-hmm. the teachers working there, the government officials that were supposed to be looking over this school mm-hmm. had to have known what was happening. Like it just like trickles down all throughout the entire system. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm like, none of y'all protected any of these kids for over a century. Like that's so fucked. And these children are still alive. Right. And they're still dealing with all of the trauma from the past and they still haven't got any type of 
anything from ha- dealing with that. No money, no, nobody was arrested, like none of it. The, mo- the best you can do is say, we'll rebury the children that died on the same campus they were killed. No. no. That's, that doesn't make any sense. You're burying uh, them at the crime scene? First of all, you lucky you I don't knock all this shit over. You lucky I don't fuck that shit up myself. Like mm-hmm. I'm surprised they didn't get together and burn that shit down, for real. Listen. True. But my thing is also whenever people like whenever there's allegations against like an institution or a person or whatever, me personally, if I see previous allegations, it's it's I believe it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like the the guy that somebody did like last week, I think it was you Carter, who uh did the guy and he had like a previous rape allegation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Oh no, um, you know, he like downsized it or something like that. They they locked me up because of something yeah. that happened with my girlfriend. It's yeah. like he was like, she, uh, I got in trouble because she overdosed while we were together. Meanwhile, he killed her. Oh, you killed him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you killed him. Previous yeah. allegations. You did that shit. Right. Cause why is it so much bullshit popping up in your history? <sighs> and it's the, all got the same pattern. So yeah. Oh, it's a wild oh. story, Aaron. That is wild. That a wild, wild, wild story. Wild. I know. You was a trooper. <laughs> right. We got something a little lighter for should this be a crime. So. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Do we have time for this? Should this be a crime? Yeah, we can make it quick. I got a few minutes. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. We'll be back. All right, let's go. Should this be a crime? I'm ready. (laughs) Let's see. Okay. We're just going to skip straight to it because we got to be quick. Yeah. All right. So, family turns beloved dog. Beloved dead golden retriever into a rug. <laughs> Wait, can <laughs> I say something ignorant? Yes. yes. Golden retrievers shed so much. Please. <laughs> and they're Republicans. <laughs> Please. Not to hate golden retrievers. No, I, yes, they're very cute dogs. <laughs> yeah. Okay, anyway. They are very cute. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Republicans be cute. Um, <laughs> after an Australian family's golden retriever passed, they decided to turn their beloved pet into a rug. While some might find the memento disturbing, pet taxidermy is becoming a popular way to honor a pet, according to the professional who was hired by the family. Pet taxidermy has only become more popular in the last five years or so. So it's very it's a very new thing to see for most people. Um, Maddie, the owner of Melbourne-based um, company called Chimera Taxidermy. That's very creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they talk about the company a little bit, blah, 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 blah. Maddie explained in the comments that the pelt has been tanned out and turned into leather so that the fur won't fall out, um, which she said will keep the rug in good condition for many years. She also shared the preserving pets as pelts is not as common as people um, wanting full taxidermy mounts. Um, most of the pets, um, she taxidermies are sleeping, but she also can do the rugs without the pet's heads. Oh my um, god. <laughs> the <What>? souvenir. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> I don't want a headless pet fur. Like my actual pet. Like I could see it was like a bearskin rug and I got it without the head, but like my actual you could be my dog back to me without the head on it. <laughs> I don't want that. I'm sorry. I can't. No, thank that. you. I think I already know what I'm about to say. <laughs> the souvenir. The souvenir has received mixed. Mostly Republican positive. Uh, what's it? Republican. Lord have mercy. The has <laughs> received mixed, but mostly positive reactions from people in the comments with people saying that the idea is beautiful, but not for everyone. 
Though morbid and sad, I've wondered what it would look like for my dog to one day be preserved like a rug. One person commented. Um, and then skip, skip, skip some more. They talk more about the practice of taxidermy. Some people said this made my stomach churn. It's a poor little deflated face. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is completely disrespectful to the dog. Let him rest in peace. Oh my God, this is morbid. There's no way that I could ever do that. Um, she said it's sometimes difficult working with pets compared to animals, but it's more rewarding to be able to help people with their grief and allow them to keep a part of their pet forever. Um, just a little context. Somebody posted that in like a reel, uh, who posts reels, but somebody posted that in a reel and then, um, like a whole bunch of people commented all that stuff that I was. Okay. So, listeners, y'all remember when we did the cat taxidermy story where the person got her full cat like like it was still alive? Mm-hmm. And we, we struggled with that one. <laughs> we did. But it was like, you know, I love it for you if you love it for yourself type shit. Yeah. Do you like it? This, nah, not a rug. That feels so disrespectful. I'm not going to hold you. Like, y'all, y'all walking on him? <laughs> That's why I'm That's like, what is... Are y'all doing homework on the dog rug? Like, what are y'all doing? Is it? It's not even enough to carry every to for like to be comfortable to sit. I don't. I don't like it. I don't fuck with it. Little leg shaped, and then it's irregular shape because it's like it's little legs. You know what I mean? It's like it's okay, laid out. I can't get them both in the camera, but like you see what I'm saying? Like I, mean, <laughs> I don't want that in my house on my floor. No, that's, no, that's horrible. Head too, like because the skull's no. not even still in the head, so the head is like flat. It looks like the dog got ran over. It really does. So was, I'm now I'm super traumatized because now my dog <laughs> looked like roadkill in the middle of the living room. In the middle of the living room. Yeah, what now I have to head? grieve. Look how smushed it is. <laughs> don't show it. Put it away. I'm looking at it too. <laughs> His little eyes is just like. Like, oh, that's horrible. That and he lives horrible. on the floor. Like people walk over him. Like that's I don't know. To me, no. and what you do is you get a new dog and your new dog pisses on your dead dog rug. Oh, oh the disrespect. What do you do? Like what do you I do? Can't. You get robbed. <laughs> they take your shit and they turn his ass into like a fur coat or something. I don't know. Like no. It's just not for I, me. I'm I don't sorry. like this. I do I not like this. I'm so sorry if this is something that you've done or plan to do with your pet. Please don't invite me over. No, um, don't I, this is either. too much for me. This is too much for me. <laughs> you know, I don't grieve shame, but I shame this. <laughs> I, I never thought I would, but I found the one. I found <laughs> the one. Please. I hate it. I hate it yeah, so no, I much. Hate it. I, can't, I can't fuck with it. I hate it. I do. Because why is it on the ground? <laughs> oh my god! It's the flathead. I can't get. It's not even it. like hung up somewhere. It's not even no. like in a secret. It's not even like on a secret little pet shrine or nothing like that. It's not none of that. Mm-hmm. It's on the floor. No, that would be the opposite of comforting to me. Like that would. That's like the opposite of helping me through my grief process. What if you had like a toddler? You woke up in the middle of the night and they just run around with the rug over top of their head <laughs> in the dark, <laughs> like those towels they make for kids with like. Yeah. <laughs> literally just thinking it no. oh my god no this is a horrible idea it's no, horrible it's, it's horrible it's not good somebody spilled juice on it how you gonna clean it i just oh it's too god. it's too much stuff we can you we can be here we can be here all day <laughs> but you gotta vacuum the crumbs out your do- out your dog no uh. we're gonna no. be here all night thinking about scenarios <laughs> <Listen>. <laughs> That's very the comments on this shit. Instagram post are wild. Someone said we have a sheep in the freezer that we're memorializing. <laughs> oh, I hope they're lying. 
I feel like they're trying to make a joke, but y'all okay. making me scared to come to Australia because y'all already got them big ass fucking animals, them spiders that be the them size spiders. of trash cans. Y'all had the mice plague in 2020. I don't know if that's still going on because y'all stopped posting about Kangaroos it. Kangaroos are drowning people. They, oh, no. and, they buff, and they buff as fuck. Mm-hmm. It took me to the page of the company that does the taxidermy. Someone said, oh. if I could have known, I would have had my gorgeous Akita made into a footstool rather than right away in the ground. I think oh, it's such a personal choice. Just because it goes against popular opinion doesn't make it macabre. A footstool? <laughs> And see, and this is why dogs be biting y'all, first of all. Second of all, you're going to suffer in your next life. Like, you're going to be reincarnated as something awful because you want to take your dead dog and make them something you prop your feet up on? Like, that's so disrespectful. Did you even care what? about that nigga? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> A footstool? Come on. Why do y'all always do the darkest shit and then be like, oh, it just goes against popular opinion? Yes, it does go against popular opinion, but also... It's a dead dog's skin in your living room. You you completely reduced it down to it being like, oh, white refrigerator. Like, no. No. This no. just tacky. This That's is no. weird. This is strange. <laughs> weird. You want it to be furniture? You want your dead dog to be your furniture? You I, feel like in like, no. I feel like this is going to be the another thing that is like a telltale that you could potentially be a serial killer. Yes. Yes. Like frontal lobe injury, killing the neighbor's cat, setting stuff on fire. Yeah. Anything. It's giving. Has never not been creepy. It's never. It's never not given serial killer vibes. Like, because if I walk in your house and there's a deer head looking at me, I'm walking right out. Why was I there in the first place? I'm not gonna get it. So I hold a little bit of space for it because I don't understand it enough or the background of it enough, but. It is weird. It, it has always creeped me out. And this is just another level. Like this, yeah, is, this, next is, this level. is next. Because you you hunted that deer and maybe that it's like a pride thing, whatever. This is a dog that you've loved for 12, 15, however many years and cuddle with you and played fetch with you. And now you're walking your dirty ass feet over its shriveled up head. Like you're reading your Anne Rice novel and like taking your toes and ruffling the fur of your <laughs> no. dead dog beneath your feet. <laughs> I would haunt. I would haunt my owner's family for the rest of time. Yeah, if y'all bitches got me spread eagle in the middle of the living room floor, yes. my I would pussy come out back as your next dog and just tear your shit up. Please, exactly. you're not gonna exactly have any socks, know. any shoes. All your no. shit's gonna be torn up. Yeah, and why would you do that to me? I'm eating holes through the wall because, like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Y'all got me fucked up. That's so disrespectful. You know those TikToks where the owners will come back and, like, the dog has completely torn up their couch and, yes. like, there's feathers everywhere? Yes. yes. If you do that shit, that will be me. I promise you. Oh, my God. And they deserve it. Oh, oh wow. man. Well, we would love to hear y'all's response. <laughs> no, I'm not going to change my mind. mind. I'm telling you that right now. No. <laughs> Ain't nobody changing my mind on this shit. Not for real. <laughs> but you can find us online at Iana Killa Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and Iana Killa Pod on Twitter. You can listen to us on Apple. You can listen to us on Spotify. And now you can listen to us on Pandora, everywhere where you can find podcasts. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. See y'all I'm next get over week. this. Never, never. <laughs> Ever in my like, life. Bye. bye, whoever's listening. <laughs> bye. <laughs>